0: Well, good morning everyone again. It's good to have you with us and to have this time of sweetness in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We wanna carry that on by spending some time in scripture with you today. If you'll take your Bible please and turn to Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you and I'd be honored if you'd pull that out and take it. And when I say take it, I mean take it. Take it home as our gift to you today if you don't own a Bible. And the page numbers for those Bibles are on the screen behind me. Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, pretty much, and Psalm 51 is pretty much right in the middle of the Psalms, so we're going to go from there. While you're looking for it, um, just uh, something that happened in our family a number of years ago to set up this conversation with Psalm 51, we, we took a family vacation. This is when Ben was in high school, Jacqueline would have been in the early days of college, and we went off down to Mexico, and we... Had a few days down there and we we went on one of those kind of excursions you can go on when you're at those settings and it was going to be where a guide was going to take us out snorkeling in the bay and uh, we had masks and snorkels, and we're all fairly decent swimmers, so one of the things that was gonna be really cool was that when we went out there, they were gonna give us these little electric motors, and you pull the button right on both hands, and it would pull you through the water. It was an absolutely wonderful experience, and uh, you can see these, this video on the screen behind me. They're like little electric fans that pull water through, and while those guys are scuba diving, you can see how you can just, it's really this neat experience to move through the water, Kind of effortlessly, but I, I learned that there was a little bit of a struggle with that, and that if you're like me, you, you go swimming and you go down, you know particularly here in the Midwest. Uh, we we swim more in pools than anywhere else, right, than in the ocean. So you dive in the water and, you you know, you get in the water, you're a kid, no matter what your age is, and you want to see how deep can you get. And so you go down the bottom of the pool and you're in the deep end and you're swimming down around there, seven, eight feet down, or if it's in a public pool, maybe 10, 12 feet down and you, you sit on the bottom, right, and all that sort of stuff. And then you push up and you go up to the surface. Well, that's, you kind of have this sense of when you need to push up and, you know, push off and go up. Well, with these little fan things we would go down 25 feet in a heartbeat and then you'd say okay I need to push off from the sand down the bottom and and then you'd go oh I don't have enough air to get all the way up there and because it would be way longer and you'd come out you know that sort of thing and down you'd go again and what I learned in that experience you need to have more developed lungs than I had for where those motors would take us I want to talk with you today about going deeper and letting the Holy Spirit take you places where you've not been before into a deeper walk with Jesus Christ, into a deeper life with him, and uh, if you will, developing some better, larger capacity spiritual lungs. Here's why I'm doing this, if you wouldn't mind me kind of letting you get inside my head for a bit. A few weeks ago, we announced that we're going to start this 10 project, that we're saying we're going to take the next 10 years to reach 10% of our community, and that we need to start that with prayer, and we, you know, it's up and running really well, and we've got some programs coming down down the pike for all of that, but I have a concern that we recognize that if we're going to take our congregation wider, if you will... We can never ask God to grow wider without God also expecting us to go deeper. Does that make sense? We, we, we have to be really careful that we don't just pump out theological information into the community or even into the lives of the people who are presently in the congregation. We're not looking for theological information. What are we looking for? We are looking for life transformation. And so... As one of the staff members, as one of the pastors, it's my responsibility to say, God is unwilling to allow us to stay, if you will, in our present spiritual condition. If we want to go deeper in Christ, deeper in Christian maturity, then yes, we were right, we started with prayer, but we must never lose sight of this particular issue when it comes to our plans for the future. It's not about numbers in any way. It's about the heart and the soul condition of you and me and the folk who are not yet part of the life of the church or more importantly, part of, the, part of God's great big family where regardless where they might end up attending church. See, we got some stuff coming that's going to cause our congregation to grow and become, if you will, more busy In in the midst of all that busyness, in the midst of missional talk, in the midst of all kinds of ministry projects and building projects and so forth and so on, I've got to ask you this. How is your heart? How is your heart? As the pastor, it would be very easy to step into a management mode of the congregation. If you will, an agenda-driven lifestyle of our church pastoring for progress, if you will. But what good is pastoring for progress if we were to leave lackluster souls behind? So let me ask you about your soul today. Has your soul worn thin? I want you to come deeper with me in the coming weeks as we step into this new sermon series. And let's let's exercise some spiritual lungs to be able to take on a larger capacity of the deeper places where God's calling us as a church to go and where God's calling us as individual Christians to go. So Psalm 51 addresses this, and I want you to think about this, this psalm with a little bit of background, if I could give it to you. you have to go back 3,000 years from today, or perhaps even a little bit more than 3,000 years ago, back to 1,020, 1,040 before, years before Jesus was born back to a time in Jerusalem and Israel when everything was absolutely spectacular. There was a young handsome king who was in charge of the kingdom called Israel and he was a military genius, an economic guru. Under his reign, the country just absolutely flourished and while they may have had some enemies, for the most part, that nation knew no real struggles. Anytime somebody tried to come against them. Because this young king walked with God in spectacular ways, there was never a problem. The spirituality that he had, he was described as a man after God's own heart. And because he walked with God so closely, he was able to lead that nation in some powerful, powerful ways. But a few years into his reign, middle age, a little bit past middle age, he got sideways. In the midst of the wonderful years, in the midst of all the great success, King David lost his way. He had an extramarital affair. He saw this woman, her name was Bathsheba. He saw her across the way one evening and goes, Oh, I'm really attracted to her. Her husband was in the military, off at war, and you know, while the fellow was gone, David took matters into his own hand and had an affair with the woman, she became pregnant. When the pregnancy was learned, he, David arranged for the fellow to come home and supposedly have some time of intimacy with his wife, and then the fellow was sent back again by David to, to war, and placed in a place, in a setting where David said, make sure that when he gets out there, he's killed. He arranged for the man to be murdered, hoping that people would think, hey, They had some time together. She got pregnant. He went off and got killed and she's the poor widow. But the truth be told, everybody knew what had happened. The husband's dead. The woman finishes the pregnancy. The baby is born and the baby died. There'd been scandal. There'd been months of scandal. David thought he kept it all a secret but there were whispers in the palace. There were whispers in the city. Everybody knew what had happened. And once this The lid of secrecy was lifted off the whole mess. David came to his senses and thought, I am sideways with God. I'm sideways with my nation. What am I going to do? Psalm 51 was his response. He writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. I know what I did wrong, God. My sin is always before me and against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil and in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, justified when you judge. When I think about it, God, I mean, when I think about who I am, it is so bad what I have done Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You, You taught me wisdom in the secret place. And despite my sin as a child, I still became a man after God's own heart. That's how scripture described him. But now where is he? Oh God, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness in the bones you have, recr- you have crushed, may they rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity, and create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways. They can look and see how bad it can be and how good it can be, and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. I murdered a guy. I arranged for him to be killed. Deliver me from that, O God. You are my God and my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, but... Or... My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. If you know the story, the, the affair, the pregnancy, the murder, the death of the baby, and then that whole thing, I mean, TMZ would have a, have a heyday with this these days. There'd be cameras all over and guys trying to get the story, right? The National Enquirer would have a, a wonderful day with this. You know the story, you know of David's desperation. Verse three. I know my transgressions and my sin. It's, all, it's always there. I can't go anywhere and not think about the stupid thing that I did. What was I thinking? I mean, I go into meetings and all I can think, I can't focus on the meetings. Here you know, I'm the king. And all I can think about is how ridiculous I look in these guys' eyes. Sit down to dinner and I know the people who are serving me are whispering. I lay in my bed at night and I can't sleep. The hours just tick by. It's always before me. And if it's always before me, then look at verse 9. God, hide your face from my sins. God, don't, please, God, don't you look at what I did wrong. Please, because if you look at what I did wrong, and if you see that then, verse 11, I know the legitimate result of all of this. I'm going to be denied access to your presence. I'm going to have no guidance for life from your spirit. I was such a fool. What was I thinking, God? David is in a relationship with God and that relationship is now flawed. It's now sidetracked. And well, I've got good news for David, good news for you, good news for me. Regardless of how far sidetracked you've got from God, that doesn't have to be a permanent setting because the result of David's prayer of repentance was this. He was forgiven. Your sin, your affair, your addiction, your struggle, your heart, whatever the mess might be, it can be forgiven. And God's forgiveness in Christ covers you fully. Your sin and your life may be right here. But do you know what the good news is? The work of Jesus Christ on Calvary at the cross covers that fully. It, it may be this big, but the cross is this big. Your sin may be this big, but the cross is that big. Your sin is completely covered. Your struggle, it's covered. And when God looks at you, God sees that work of Calvary before there's any mention of your sin. And now, if that's your experience being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, your responsibility is to go into an ongoing process of spiritual development. A new approach to heart life, a new generosity within your soul, if you will. And so here's my task for you today, or my task for me more so, let me put it this way. My responsibility is to speak about the generosity of your heart because if God's covering is this big, why is your heart just this big? I'm assuming today as I speak further that you've either prayed a prayer like Psalm 51 in the past asking God to forgive you in Jesus Christ or you will before the day is done. And then, with all of us under the covering of God's graceful forgiveness, I want to ask you, do you have margin in your soul for even better days? And when I say margin, this is what I mean. It's like some people, they live so close to the wick that, that, that um, well, the page of their, their soul is, it's typed on all the way to the very edges and from top to bottom, and the lines of the typing are very, very tight, and there's no white space within their lives whatsoever. The words are all tiny, and it's all, look, one big black blob of print Where's the margin? Where's the white space? And they're so short to a, a few, uh, the fuse is so short that something happens and anger just immediately pops out because there's no margin in their lives. Their first response is resentment or bitterness. And it's, it's, I mean, it's not that tight, it's that tight. And yet others, why is it that other people, their short wick, in the midst of life settings is a short wick to laughter or to joy or kindness, generosity. I, I saw this this past week in an unusual way. I, I, I stopped by McDonald's about 1, 1.30 on Tuesday afternoon, the day of the election. I'm standing in line to get a soda, I could bring it back to the office, and coming back across town, I got the afternoon, and I'm standing in line, and an older gentleman in his mid-80s came in, and... You know, so you kind of stand there and I say, "So, how are you?" And he says, he goes, "Well, what do you think of the election?" And I mean, he just took off. I didn't really have a big response, other than I had some hopes or something or other. A man, this blue streak of language came out of his mouth. Now I need to tell you, I've heard, I've heard all those words before. I have. I worked in a uh, lumber mill in the summers during high school and then in a steel mill in the summers during college. And so it's not like I hadn't heard, I mean, I've heard plenty of colorful language, but it's a little bit different at McDonald's just down the road from here because I'm the pastor of First Christian Church. And a lot of people in town know who I am. And this guy standing this beside me is just letting it fly. And I'm going, who knows me around here? Who knows me? (sighs) And... Every, I mean, I'm not just talking about the D word either. I'm talking about, I mean, it's it's blue. I, you can hardly, the, 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 the haze in the room is, and people are listening and I'm standing right beside the guy. Yeah, yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what concerned me about that? First of all, he says, I'm just a dumb old farmer. I don't know anything. And I go, well, my thought immediately response is, well, the farmers I know are extremely intelligent. None of them are dumb. They're very resourceful, and they would, couldn't be farmers if they were just dumb old farmers by any means. They're the kind of people you need in your corner. But with every, every sentence that came out from this guy, the anger and the frustration the bitterness, and there was no wick. I'm a stranger. He was showing not just his language skills, if you will, was showing the condition of his heart what was coming out of him was just evil jesus spoke about this matthew chapter 12 he said make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit <laughs> and then this is really what was the mouth speaks what the heart is full of and i'm standing at mcdonald's going i hope these people don't think this is my heart A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. I'm going to have to give an account for what comes out of my soul through my mouth. I want a really long wick when it comes to bitterness. I want my sin covered. And then the redeeming work of God to create a largesse of heart, a generosity of soul. The last thing I want is any kind of bitterness or anger or any sort of hoarding attitude. You know, if you're like me, life lessons can be hard at times and there are places where you get knocked down a few times and you experience hurt. And we try to close in to protect and fearful that we might lose something that if we... Living this way is much harder, isn't it? I experienced this in the last few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. Um, about 10 days ago, actually. Uh, Les called me up one afternoon and said, hey, there's an event, this event we've got coming up this weekend. We had an event where a man in the community was going to be honored. She said, I want to give him a gift. Oh, that's a great idea, Les. Right. I want to give him one of the vases off our... our." Um, hearth in front of our fireplace at home. And let me tell you about these vases. There's three of them. Well, there used to be three there. (laughs) Um, They're fired in a very cool way um, using an old North American Indian tradition where they take hairs from the tail of a horse and they burn those hairs into the pottery as the pottery is fired. And you have these absolutely wonderful vases. Ours are about this big and this round and, and they, they fit the decor of our home. They're the right color and they're absolutely gorgeous. And they're not, I mean, they're not thousands of dollars, but they're more than tens of dollars too as well. Okay. So there, there's some value in them and just a little bit of, I've often enjoyed just sitting in the den, looking at the fireplace and looking at those vases and going, that's really cool that God's allowed us to have those. So Les calls up and says, I want to give him a gift, okay? And I want to give him one of those phases. And I'm going, oh, okay. I'm trying to create a largesse of who I am. So I said, without really any, any struggle at all, I think, I said, yes. But I think that's a great idea and it will mean something to him. And long story as to why it would mean a lot to him. And so we hang up and I put the phone down and I go, Wayne Kent, you've really come a long way. Until I realized I hadn't come such a long way because I was noting how far I'd come. You get what I mean? In that, okay, maybe I'm not so free at freely with who I am after all because now I have to note that I'm free with myself and free with our stuff or free with something that's important to me. and. See, I need more than just acts of generosity. You can have that vase. But more so, I need a generosity within. It's about deep inside within me. And how come I'm so messed up that I've got to note how kind I am? If I was kind, wouldn't I just be kind automatically and not? I mean, am I really clean on the inside or am I just acting clean on the outside? Jesus spoke to that too. Spoke right to me. Matthew chapter 23, he goes, woe to you, you hypocrites. Oh, great, great way to start. You could have gone a long time, Jesus, without pointing that out right off the bat. You hypocrites. Okay, so I'm not really pleased with this verse, or this passage. It's just a little too tight. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Oh, don't you hate it when Scripture starts talking to you? You clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they, the cup and dish, are full of greed and self-indulgence. Oh, God. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Oh. I trust that's not a description of my soul acting generously on the outside, but on the inside, still smoldering in some sort of selfishness and snide self-pity because, by golly, as I hang that phone up, well, now we've only got two instead of three, but, boy, golly, I'm really generous. Hmm. I want to live differently than that, don't you? Psalm 51 has some clues. Verse 17. It's a very important word there. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit... A broken, and then the word is used, contrite heart. That kind of understanding, God, you will not despise. That word contrite is really important. In Hebrew, it talks about having a crushed heart. (laughs) Who wants a crushed heart? Oh, she crushed my heart. He crushed my heart. Does anybody want a crushed heart? No, you don't want a crushed heart. Why is that a good thing? Well, that word contrite, if you go back to verse 8, is the same word in Hebrew that is found in verse eight. It says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. This kind of crushing is not a crushing that is done by other people, but instead it's where God crushes us and takes who we are as we allow him to. Sacrifice God is a broken and crushed heart, a contrite heart that God's done. God has done some breaking, so that when we we can then be rebuilt and remolded for us to have a better heart, and the result of us is that we end up with souls that have significantly longer wicks when it comes to anger and bitterness and pride and rage, and yet really, really short wicks when it comes to heart generosity and to kindness and to life-giving love available for other people. I'm still learning this. Are you? I, I've been learning this um, a lot lately, it appears. Let me s- to see if I can explain it this way. A few weeks ago, um, last week of October, I went up to visit my parents in British Columbia. Hadn't been up there since January. Felt like I need to go and say hi, and how are they doing, so I went to see the family. I was there for three or four days. And to make a long story short, on, on the Tuesday of that week, October 28th, actually, I don't know if that's the Tuesday, October 28th, I do know it was the 28th, um, uh, I, I'm we had some events to, to deal with and then I had I had 45 minutes by myself and then there was going to be another event and I'm driving across town i got 45 minutes by myself and I go, what am I going to do? Well, frankly, this sermon, Psalm 51, was on my brain. My, I'm thinking, you know what? I'll stop at a coffee shop and I get my computer out and I'll take 45 minutes to kind of prepare for the weekend of the 8th and 9th of November. So I get there, I've got my Diet Coke, i got my computer open, Psalm 51 is in front of me on the computer and it's one of those coffee shops where the tables are really close together. And the guy comes and sits down beside me and he starts muttering. And I'm going, this is not really conducive to me working on Psalm 51. I've got to teach people about the largesse of our souls. And he's muttering. (laughs) He's messing with my time. And he's speaking louder as the, as the minutes tick by, where he's obviously wanting me to engage in conversation, I'm thinking, I, I've got to do largesse of soul right here. What's he up to? And besides that, I'm on vacation. I don't have to be a pastor right now, do I? And be opening and welcoming of conversations and people, that sort of stuff. And so he's going on and I'm going, oh, oh, What? I didn't say it like that, but that's how I was feeling, okay? And he goes, I'm an alcoholic. I go, ah. Oh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I don't want to deal with an alcoholic today. And I've got a drug problem. Ah, oh, two things. <laughs> two things. And suddenly it occurs to me, ah, oh, I'm writing on largesse of soul. How am I doing in that? I closed the lid of the computer. And I said, hi, my name is Wayne. What's your name? And he said, his name was Dave. And he went on to tell me his story over the next half hour. Long story short, he lived in a halfway house and he'd had a problem with one of the guys in the house. He, on October 28th, had paid for his rent through November 17th, but he was furious with this guy, other guy in the house, and there was no way he was going back, and he had his stuff with him. His bike was outside. His his bicycle was outside. There was a basket on the back that had all his belongings in it, and he was out of there. I'm out of there. He said, the government's not going to be happy with me because I don't have any money, and I've spent it on the wrong thing. I have nowhere to go. I'm going to be homeless tonight thinking, oh, golly, how much money do I have in my pocket? It's not good for me to give him, put him in a hotel. He's got a All this is going through my mind, and I said, you know, tell me a little bit more. And finally, I came to the place, and I said, you know, Dave, maybe the best thing for you today would be to say, I've got a place to sleep tonight if I'll go back. And Dave, if you can come to the place where you won't have a drink tonight, I bet you can figure out that anger with that other fellow. Can you do that? And I don't know if how much truth is there, but he goes, I think I could. I asked him how much money he had. He had enough money for beer. And he said, but I'm not gonna use it on beer tonight. I'm, you're right, I'm gonna go back. I'll work it out with the director and see if he can put me in a different room or whatever. So. You know, so he gets up to leave. I'm packing up my stuff. And I'm thinking, you know what? All the writing in the world would not have made this man's life better. But for 30 minutes, I just listened. There was enough white space to listen. So as he stood up, I'm still sitting down, got my computer in my lap, and I reached out my hand, and I'm looking up at him, and I said, you know, Dave, I hope you have... A better day. And I pray that the blessing of God be upon you. And I'm not saying he converted. I'm not saying it was this big, you know, tears streaming down his cheeks or anything like that. The only thing that happened was this little tear formed right there and didn't, over nothing. You know, just right there. And he's holding, I'm holding his hand. I held his hand for a longer period of time. You know, guys, we don't hold hands. You know, we, But I'm holding his hand. I reached up, put my other hand around it. And he said, he remembered my name. He goes, Wayne, thanks for that. I'm not going to drink tonight. (sighs) Can we do that? Can we put the computer lids down from time to time and say, I'm not going to work on my stuff, but I've got enough white space in my soul? Some takeaways for you today on how to do this. First of all, this week, Make a decision to go deeper with your spirituality. Make a decision to go deeper with your Christian maturity. Pay attention to putting a little bit more generosity of your soul into play. Not just with your stuff, but more importantly with who we are. My stuff that day was to write this sermon. Is there a little bit of irony there? In other words, deal with our heart conditions and attitudes today. In the coming weeks, as we move forward into this series, we're going to deal with some actions. Next week, we're going to deal with generosity of time, more specifically. And then on the 23rd and 20, 22nd and 23rd, we're going to deal with generosity of pocketbooks. On the 29th and 30th, we're going to ask some of you to go deeper. Literally, we're going to have a weekend of baptisms. And so, if you'd like to get baptized, make note of that, and uh, maybe call the office and make your plans. But for just for this week, make a decision. For some of you, that means you have to go back and you can make a decision. I'm going to pray Psalm 51. I've never prayed that before. Then today's the day in which you can come to Jesus Christ and you can say, I am asking God to, yeah, crush my my heart. Give me a contrite heart, God, so that I can gain a little more white space because this sin of mine can be covered. And then, if all of us have come to that place where that sin is covered, as we leave here today, I've got some homework for you. I want you to take your bulletin today, your program, and if you look on the back side of it, it's got some white space there. And here's how you can maybe just start to think about how to create a little bit more white space. let go a little bit deeper. I want you to reflect on grace, on the grace gifts that you've received in order to then reflect that grace. So when I say reflect, I want you to do, kind of if you will, an inner, an inner... Exercise. Make a list of the grace gifts you've received on that white space there. Your life and you know the fact that you're alive, your family, uh, the fact that you know Jesus Christ because my sense is by the time we leave here, everyone will have prayed Psalm 51, all right? So uh, you've you known Jesus Christ, you've got some talents that you can use, you've got beauty all around you, you've got a cool job or you don't have a cool job but you can see a better job coming or you have the ability to bring that job to God. What about the grace gift that we're sitting here in this relative luxury compared to our brothers and sisters in, say, Syria or Iraq who fear for their lives because they have the name of Jesus Christ attached to their lives? Make that list and then reflect on it for other people. Reflect it to other people, if you will. And then, once you've kind of got the list, simply do it. Live life without fear, without this hoarding that, man, i got to hold on to everything. I, I want to show you what I mean by this. Uh, when we first came to town, uh, we lived up um, in Montezuma Hills by by the mall, and we got a membership when the kids were little at Sun and, Farm, Sun and Fun um, Swim Club up at the very end of MacArthur Road here. And in the evenings, I would leave here at work uh, throughout the summer, various some nights, and I'd race up there, and meet them at about 5 o'clock, and we'd go swimming, okay? So we'd swim for half an hour, 45 minutes, go home and have dinner. So we did that for a number of years. By the time uh, Ben would have been in, high, in junior high, Jacqueline would have been in, in high school, and we're there swimming one night, and um, it's almost time to leave, and one of the kids said, let's go off the high diving board one more time. Hadn't been off it at all that day. Okay, we're going on. The three of us will go off. And so we go over to the high diving board, and I'm, in, I'm first. And you, you know what it's like. You climb up the ladder, and you stand at the, edge of the, at the one end of the board, and there are those chrome rails that are right beside you. You, can, you rub your hand against the rails. You feel where you are. And I walked out to the edge of the board. The rails are now behind you. And I did a little bounce on the, on the board. And go, Dad. Go for it, Dad. And I'm swinging my arms. I'm going to do a a cannonball or something or other. And I'm a pretty decent swimmer. So I'm not afraid of water. I'm not particularly afraid of heights. I've been up on top, you know, this ceiling and everything and changed lights and all that sort of stuff and swinging my arms and suddenly, it wasn't the height It wasn't the water. It was the distance between the height and the water that really got me going. (laughs) I couldn't jump. I seriously could not jump for the fear. What? Well, how silly is that? Some of you are going. Well, you just be an idiotic Wayne. But there was something within me I couldn't jump. The lineups getting longer. Go for it, Dad. Go for it. Hey, Dad, the line's getting long. Dad, Dad. And with that, I backed up. Dad, what are you doing? And I started climbing down the ladder. The kids ran off. They're mortified. They don't want to be known as my children any longer. <laughs> Embarrassed. Fear won the day. How many of us are like that when it comes to saying "I want to dive deeper with the things of God? I'm afraid. I'm afraid more white space around the edge of my soul might mean that I have to give up one of my three vases. Might need to mean that I put my computer lid, close it earlier, and have a conversation with somebody I really wouldn't, didn't want to have a conversation with. I'm calling you to deeper things, friends. Don't let fear win the day. Pray with me, please. Father, hear our hearts this morning. We want to pray a prayer of Psalm 51. Lord, for all of us in this room, maybe some for the umpteenth time, others for the very first time. Cleanse us, God. Make our sins whiter than snow. Cover us with the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. Work that out in us today. Lord, enable us to know what it means to experience your grace. We're going to dive deeper, Lord, and it's a little bit scary. It means doing stuff like chatting with strangers and Standing beside the guy with the blue that can make the air blue. It means diving, Lord. Jumping when we have fear. But we definitely need to go deeper with you, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.